Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the new action monster movie film Godzilla, King of the Monsters. We're also going to take a gander at the new rom-com Netflix original, Always Be My Maybe. We're going to look at some new trailers that are coming up, movies coming out this summer that we're excited to talk about, and maybe a couple from Oscar season two. And before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. This week, uh, some exciting things have happened. First things first, uh, The New Mutants is scheduled for reshoots by Disney. This is the X-Men film that, well, you know, Andy, you should tell it. You know that you know the story better than I do. I'm kind of stumbling into this late. <laughs> so The New Mutants was a property that was, uh, I think we first saw our trailer in late 2017 or spring of 2017 for a summer release. And it's been pushed back. It's been pushed back. This is now the fourth time uh, for reshoots. And, uh, you know, it's supposed to be this kind of PG-13 and horror mutant comic book thing. It looks like they're trying to get more, go lean more into the horror than in the other films, but they're doing more research. Yeah, it's it's really something. Um, I, I was just looking at this article from uh, Rolling Stone. They did an interview with Maisie Williams following Game of Thrones, and they asked her, they said, hey, that movie, The New Mutants, what's going on with that? And her response was, uh, I, I'll, I'll sense this, who knows when the F that's going to come out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to her, they originally it was undergoing reshoots to make it scarier, but now she has no idea. Because uh, she said co-star Charlie Heaton doesn't know what's going on with it. Um, it's really something. And, and, and I think it's good to hear something's happening with it because the only reason I'm still talking about it, the only reason I put this on the outline is because this movie genuinely interests me. I, I really want to see what's going on. It's this dark horror interpretation of X-Men. Um, what gives? <laughs> why, why isn't Disney yeah. running with this? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It must be real sloppy or who knows what. But the, the reshoots have taken so long, the actors are going to be visibly aged by the time because they're all like like uh, late teen, early 20s. So like they're all going to look significantly older by the end of the film or throughout the film. It's, it's going to be really hard to keep that consistent. Yeah, Maisie Williams is really fortunate because we watched her age up through Game of Thrones, but... I, I, other actors and actresses aren't going to have that benefit. And even still, it's going to look weird. It's going to be odd. Like, why is this a five-year-old film that's just now coming out, you know? How does this tie into lore? Um, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they dumped it to Hulu or something, you know? They were like, ah, you know what? It's just a Hulu original now. It's its own thing. Or we're going to throw it on Disney+. Plus. Like, I, I don't I, I don't Ex- know. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's just odd. I can't remember the last time a movie got pushed back this much, just over and over and over again. In such an oddly public way. Uh, Our next story, Batman comic writer Tom King to co-write the New Gods screenplay with Ava DuVernay. Uh, Andy, you're the comic book man. Who is Tom King? Who is Ava DuVernay? And what is this thing? Okay. So Tom King uh, is best known for, he did a a very recent run on Batman, which is the top selling comic book um, for both Marvel and DC. Uh, It's a very prized position to get in to be able to write for Batman and he did uh, I think uh, 24 issues or so he did a, he did a long run from the most recent reboot uh, rebirth a couple of years ago so he, he's a big deal he's a big name in comic book writing so it's it's good that he is part of the, the film writing all right and Ava DuVernay is of course uh, the the female director of uh, a wrinkle in time I know she did other stuff before that but I can't think of it off the top of my head I don't have our IMDb page up my apologies um, so she's going to be working on the new gods, which is what? 
so this is a this is kind of a strange property, uh, but it deals with two kind of interstellar planets, uh, Apocalypse and New Genesis. Basically, good guys and bad guys. Uh, Dark Side lives on Apocalypse. The good guys live on New Genesis, and there's there's some family drama there, some royal drama. Uh, I don't know a lot about this property, but I know this is that area of comic books that we were afraid to go into, but that Marvel has propelled us into this, this world of gods and planets and magic. Uh, so DC is going to be getting into that. So this should be um, with the, these writers and directors. I think we could get a really good movie for a change. Right. For those of you out there listening, uh, the new gods is a DC property, which means it lands in the comic book movies of Batman, Superman, the flash Wonder woman. It's over there. It's not doing anything with Marvel, right? It's not messing with iron man or Spider-Man or anybody like that. This is its own kind of thing. And Ava DuVernay is going to be working on this project with a Batman writer, Tom King. Sorry. I feel like it's important to explain this because it's kind of a confusing... I think we got it, though. It all comes out okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Any hot takes? Where, where do we land on comic book writers working on screenplays? Because if, it if, if, if it's worth noting, it's rare that novel, like book authors uh, working on screenplays turn out a pretty solid product i think it's the people like stephen king who have like adapted their own screenplays books and screenplays and it doesn't really work like it's typically its own beast what do we th- what do we think about tom king because comic books are very visual i'm i'm excited about it because okay so i actually i saw avengers again over the weekend uh end game and i was just blown away at how much of that movie is about character drama an easy easily two-thirds of it is about the characters and that's what really makes it for a great comic book film. All the other stuff, the powers, the fight scenes, the big set pieces, the big action sequences, none of that matters without good characters and, and good conflicts. So I'm, I think it's encouraging to have a comic book writer be a part of that. Because again, they're in, they're in charge of story. They're not in charge of, of drawing and stencils and all that stuff. I do too, yeah. And, and, and it's because comic books are so visual then I think it'll it'll help because when you're writing a screenplay, like when you're writing a comic, I'd imagine you kind of have an idea in your head of how it's going to look, but that's ultimately not up to you. You focus on the writing and the characters and the story and the artists flesh that out and it comes together in a product that really works. And in a lot of ways, I think screenplays are similar, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful about that. Uh, one other piece of Batman news, uh, Robert Pattinson of Twilight fame uh, is now confirmed to be the Batman. Uh, we talked about this in a previous episode. Uh, Andy, any hot takes? Um, I think it's a great choice. Some people have frowned. Some people think, you know, they just know him from Twilight, but he's done so much good uh, work as an independent actor or an actor in independent movies. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. He's got that strong jaw, and I think he's going to bring a lot of character to the film. He does have the strong jaw. Same camp here, by the way, for anybody out there thinking, hold on, you just said he was a Twilight fan. Right, that's what people know him from, but that's not all he's done. He's actually done a lot more since, and his work has been really good, and we're excited to see him as Batman. Call me a skeptic, call me a millennial. That's where I'm coming at this from. One more thing before we move on to our first film. Andy, I got to know, how's Avengers on a second watch? Or is this your third watch? Second watch, second watch. All right, so uh, second time through a three-hour film. Still fun, I'm sure, but what do, what do you think? Any uh, hot takes? It still holds up. It was even more enjoyable. I, uh, you know, I, I went, I took a, a bathroom break about halfway through at a moment that I thought was safe, and I totally missed a really important <laughs> part of the movie, 
um, so I got to I got to see that this time um, and know what people were talking about. And, you know, so I was some friends who hadn't seen it, so that it was uh, cool getting their uh, reaction. Much more subdued audience, uh, but man, it's it's really impressive. It's it's a really great capstone, and especially in a year where we've seen the end of Game of Thrones and we'll see the end of the the original Star Wars saga. Um, you know, to see something end in such a satisfying way is a real treat. Mm. Uh, one more thing while I'm thinking about it, I probably should have opened the show with this. We had some correspondence this week that I wanted to, to give a shout out to on the show. It's so rare we get correspondence, so thanks. Uh, this one goes out to an old uh, an old so-and-so, an old co-worker of mine named Ray Miranda, a super nice guy. Probably shouldn't have said his last name. It's fine. Uh, he hit us on Twitter. He went and saw Booksmart with his mom. Uh, and I threw a like on it and he let me know, hey, uh, I, I heard the off script episode uh, on my uh, last night on my way home from work. That's not decided to invite my mom, even though you guys sort of advised against it. Very true. We did. Glad you had a great time. He really enjoyed it. So, hey, we, we talked about it and then he went and saw it. And here we are. It all worked out. So I guess that's it. I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, I sorry. I don't know if you had any opinions, but uh, uh, yeah. Did you Ray, follow up with him? Did you did you know what he thought of it? I I. You know, I did say something on Twitter, and now I don't recall. It was like a week ago. I was just excited when he when he said something, so I screenshotted it and posted it on the outline. I don't know, dude. Uh, Ray has a, a podcast of his own. I think he's got a couple. I think he has a studio with it with his buddies. You should totally check them out. Uh, they are. Uh, let me. I never got the formal pronunciation. I think it's MoQuest Studios. Uh, M O K U E S T studio maybe uh moquest check it out they do cinequest which is where they talk about movies they do they do cool like trauma stuff and b movies and like it's it's neat and new releases we should probably actually talk about i don't know slipping a sponsor deal or something i don't know <laughs> it's fine anyway uh we should move on to our first formal review andy's got the biggest grin on his face <laughs> uh, our first review of the show this is uh andy's to take away so please andy uh it, all it's all you Godzilla, King of the Monsters. What we are witnessing here is the return of Titans. How many of these things are there? Seventeen and counting. That's messed up. So this is the follow-up to the 2014 uh, Godzilla film by Gareth Edwards, um, which was really praised. I, I haven't seen it, but I'd heard nothing but good things. Apparently, it, there was a lot of mood, a lot of mystery. You didn't actually get to see Godzilla until the very end. And, you know, before that, you just see, like, glimpses of him. You hear him. You, you feel the rumble, that sort of thing. Um, so that movie was highly praised, and this is the follow-up. Um, so this plot is all over the place, and I'm not going to attempt. To, I'm not actually going to attempt to summarize it. What I will tell you are some of the elements we have in here because it's just so convoluted. But <laughs> what we have, we have uh, eco terrorists. We have lots of monsters. We have scientists yelling things. We have people zipping around the planet at seemingly you know minutes minute speed. We have a massive cast, um, and we get big monster fights. And that's all kind of thrown in, jumbled, and that's no different than if I tried to outline the, the story. Uh, but that's what we get. This is a very different film from the, the 2014 version. Um, we There is no mystery. We see lots all, all at once, all at front. There's lots of, like I said, action sequences, lots of monsters, and big cast. Uh, so <laughs> with that said, Zach, what do you think? <laughs> you know, I kind of liked it. <laughs> 
I can't believe that you didn't you you weren't into this movie. Like I I know I shouldn't be for all intents and purposes. I should not like Godzilla King of the Monsters, but like I I had an odd amount of fun with it in, in a way that is not like almost like B movie grade fun. Like it's sure, so sure. bad it's good kind of fun. Like that's it comes around. Let me explain. Let me be clear. I, this is not necessarily a good movie. It's not even really a good action movie. But for a monster movie. I enjoyed it. I've been burned by Godzilla a lot. (laughs) They've tried to do Godzilla reboots. We we remember Gore Verbinski's 98 Godzilla. We all remember Gore Verbinski. Great song by by Puff Daddy in there. Yeah, it's true. Starring Matthew Broderick. We remember. Uh, We've all been burned by Godzilla. And like this one... It did some things right with the character that I enjoyed. And like it, it, it gave a lot of respect and nod to to its legacy. Uh, the story is not great. We should talk about it. Uh, Andy, what did you think of Godzilla King of the Monsters? So, uh, like you said, this is not, not a very good movie. To me, it didn't work. Not It didn't even work on a monster movie level. Last year, we saw, we saw Rampage starring The Rock, where he's has to fight alongside a giant ape and fight some dragon thing and a giant wolf. And we had a lot of fun, despite how ridiculous that movie was. One of us had fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and this I it was just it was long. I mean, it's over two hours. It's long, two hours ten ten long, minutes. Yes, uh, it just kind of gets boring. The plot is all is all over the place. You know, deals with this. You know, there's technology to try to um, control the monsters, uh, eco terrorism. We got to release them so they can restore balance. No, I feel like everyone is trying to have a Thanos now. They're like, oh, we have to restore balance to the the planet. Um, the, the, again, there's lots of monster fights. Which are cool, but sometimes you can't really see anything. Like they hide everything in smoke and shaky cam, and I'm just kind of makes me a little nauseous. Um, yeah, the cast is way too big. There's way too many people in this movie, all vying for screen time. It, and it's like they're just in here so you can say, "Hey, that's that person from that thing." Yeah, uh, let me jump in here. It's funny you said every movie is trying to have a Thanos now. Because this movie shares a startling amount of similarities structurally uh, with Avengers Infinity War or Endgame. Um, The cast is way too filled out, distractingly so. Like you can't even like I I had trouble focusing on on what story there was in the script and the lines because on like it would be a conference room right full full of full of uh, actors acting a scene and, and these actors and actors I can recognize everyone I'm just like yep seen him in two movies they've been in this I know that person from Thomas Middleditch from Silicon Valley is in this and and Eleven from Stranger Things is playing Eleven from Stranger Things and like it's distracting how many people are in this movie and not only do they have a star-studded cast but they completely persist with action there's no downtime it just constantly from one scene to another just bouncing from action to action to action uh it's 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 on all the time and it's like it's like endgame except endgame earned that they earned that tension and pressure over 22 films this is just one movie like it's just super busy and hectic and it just comes at you really hard and fast uh and it's kind of too much yeah, let me just read off some of this cast. We have Ch- Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby Brown, Ken Watanabe, Ziyi Zhang, Sally Hawkins, Charles Dance, who plays Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones, o- O'Shea Jackson Jr., David Strathorn. I mean, it just goes on and on. And again, most of these people don't really have very full-filled out roles. Some of these people are from the first movie, which I didn't see, and I didn't know that. Um, but again, uh, Millie Bobby Brown is in there, so you can say, hey, she's in Stranger Things. That's, that's the only reason she's in the movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, like it's 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 a lot. And and the guy who played Ty, yeah, Charles Dance, Tywin Lannister playing basically Tywin Lannister. Like it's it's distracting. It really is. Like it's too much. Um there's too much like B-grade star power in this movie. Uh it's it's really something else, but uh, along with that we should talk about uh the monster or monsters and King of the Monsters because this is a monster film after all. Uh, what did you think of our monster cast? And is it a spoiler to talk about it? Because there's more no, than one monster. That's they're all in the trailer. They're all okay, in the trailer. Great. I, I don't. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. I I did. I do like the monster. So we we do get a, a big cast because apparently in the in the 2014 Godzilla, all there is is Godzilla, and I think maybe he has to fight one other thing. Um, but it's then like Mothra here or something. Yeah. Yeah. So here we have, you know, a giant moth, which will turn out to be Mothra. Um, we have Rodan, which is like a fire pterodactyl, and then of course King Ghidorah, which is the three-headed uh, giant lizard thing. And what's interesting is all these um, characters, uh, whenever they're talking about them, they have they have table full of like photos and things from cave paintings. They're the like lore. ancient yeah. ancient people talked about them, and they seem to always get Zhang Ziyi to say their name. It's like everyone's afraid to say it; they want to hear how she says it first, and then and yeah. then they'll say it. Um, and I thought it, there's a there's a scene where they're you know they're tracking uh, Ghidorah on a monitor or something, and they, someone has taken the time to to type King Ghidorah into, and that's what's tracking on screen. And I'm like, right. really? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too. If this was the real military, they'd be like Monster A, Monster B, Monster C. Like they would not go to the trouble to give them like trendy ancient <laughs> nicknames and actually call them Godzilla and Ghidorah. Like it wouldn't happen. They'd, they'd call it something goofy like the Zephyr or something like a generic name that everybody could remember. They wouldn't they wouldn't personalize it anyway. Sorry, that's nitpicking. Yeah, the, so I mean the monsters are fine. We we do get a lot of that, and and it almost made it's like the castless. It's almost too many. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, they they really go for it because like old you know from what I know of old Godzillas right old black and white films Toho films. It'd usually be Godzilla plus one other monster. This one, like, I guess at following the failure of the last one, they're like, we're going so hard on this. We're putting in all of them in one movie. We're just going for it. This is the Hail Mary of Godzilla reboots. This is as good as it gets. Uh, we're going to put a star-studded cast. We're going to punch a, pump a bunch of money into it. We're going to put in a ton of monsters. Mothra, Ghidorah, Rodan. There's like seven others they don't even name that are in yeah. shots in this movie. Other and titans. of course, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Um, and they go for it. And like in a lot of ways, like as a monster movie, I have to respect that because all these monsters have really cool, like unique designs. They're all their own beasts, like in their own way. You know, Mothra's got to look, Rodan's got to look and a feel and, and all of these sounds and, and they all look and feel their own identity. It's the reason I can rattle a few of them off off the top of my head because I know them because I saw them because they were very tangible things. And and. Along with that, like, I love the reveals of these things. When they come out of the, of the Earth and all of their rage, like, it's so great. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about Godzilla, but I'll get to that in a second. I feel like you should jump in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, wait, I, again, the, the monster part d- does work. They, like you said, when they are unearthed and revealed and all that and scream that that's the good stuff. That is part of the reason uh, we are here, but all the, this, the plot devices that lead up to those reveals or why we have to wake them up or how they get awoken is all, I mean, it's thin beard to begin with and it's just stretched to a pretty, uh, pretty tight limit in this movie. Now speaking towards the writing, I want to know, I ran into some, 
unexpected road work on the way to the theater. And fun fact, rest in peace, my local theater, it's like four minutes away from me, permanently closed. Bum. Yeah. Like two weekends ago or something. Yeah, I've been trying to figure it out. It says on Google, like, sh- shut down. So they finally went under. It's a shame. So I'm going to AMC now. I should probably be a Stubbs member or something. But anyway, uh, I ran into some unexpected road work on the way to theater. Got there late. I didn't walk in until after the movie had started, which is a bummer. Uh, what I need to know is, does this movie open with a wall of text explaining the lore and the world, or does it just start? Because I walked in and it had just started, and characters were talking about things that I didn't understand, and it took me a while to catch up. So was there some flavor text or something that I missed? Like, is there... How, how does the movie set that up? You know, I don't think so. I think it just... I was kind of clueless as well, and it they refer kind of some to the first movie, but yeah, this, this uh, Orca thing that they've dis- created to, you know... <laughs> lock into their bioacoustics. There's all these made up scientific terms. It's great. Right, 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 uh, right. To try to control the, the monsters. Uh, yeah, it just kind of picks up on that. Right. Kyle, to, to briefly give, give a little background on the plot, Kyle Chandler's character is a scientist who, along with his wife, uh, uh, developed a device to speak to whales called the Orca using like acoustics and like cool sounds that sound like whale calls, but they kind of figured out on accident they could also use this thing to, ca- to talk to Titans, which are the monsters. So that's the whole deal. There's an eco-terrorist group who wants a piece. It's that, yeah, that's the setup. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and that was definitely confusing and it takes a while to figure out where exactly it's going. And honestly, it takes it takes some leaps logic-wise to make it happen. Like you said, uh, characters would basically be teleported from one side of the planet to the other in a matter of on-screen minutes something that would take days uh uh, there's a lot of dealing with radiation in this movie that's just never addressed by the characters who are all standing around the radiation (laughs) open we're we're gonna be fine we're gonna be fine dude it hurts because because hbo is running chernobyl right now i don't know if you've watched any of that show but like clearly radiation is a real problem and this movie just does not does not dance with that at all um you know uh there's definitely some issues but at the same time like there's little there's little charming moments for every cheesy throwaway line that some punk uh, Bradley Whitford says in the back as this, as this blubbering scientist uh, there's 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 moments of like really clever reveal I, I, I really enjoyed the way they put out Godzilla in this movie rather than just being like oh man there's this rumble in the deep what's going on like all these characters are in this setting and they start to find out there's there's something going on there's a titan or something happening and and then you find out with them it's Godzilla, which is really cool. Like it's, there's no, there's not really a build up to it. It just kind of drops in and happens and it gives it a really neat, authentic feel that I I don't think I felt from Godzilla movies. Godzilla's always, they always build it up, right? Godzilla is yeah. going to come here. He comes. It's going to be a thing. He's the title of the movie, but this one, like he just kind of exists in the world with them. And like, that was, that was really neat and charming and it gives him a little bit of character. Same with Mothra. Yeah. It was kind of neat. Yeah, I did. I did appreciate, uh, Mothra, they do some really nice visuals with uh, that <laughs> that monster. Um, I, I was gonna say you mentioned the zipping around the planet. That that really kind of took me out of it because it's like first they're they're in L.A., then they're in Mexico, then they're in Antarctica, then they're back like in Europe. I mean, they're just zipping around the planet in at a moment's notice. Yeah, and, and I mean, it makes some real logical leaps. Like it just ham-fistedly so there's a character uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. plays a uh, a soldier kind of character in this movie and when you first see him he's like he's like a, he's like a commander on an air deck or on, on on a ship right 
he's like working a screen and you're like, okay, this guy's like a tech or something. He's like responsible for engineering or some kind of, and then in the next scene, when they have troops on the ground, he's one of the troops. I'm like, okay. So he's also fully trained for ground combat. And then later he's driving a Humvee. I'm like, right. Of course. He's also a driver. Like they just, they don't care. Like they they just, they make these characters do whatever they need to do to fill out the cast and have somebody star studded on screen at all times. And it's such an odd such an odd approach. It's just distracting. It does not. It does not help the movie at all. Yeah. Um. But it, in a way, I still enjoyed it. You know, despite that. I don't know. It's it's goofy and it's fun and and it's, uh, it's ham fisted. I guess. Yeah. The the other thing, uh, a lot of the camera work also really bothered me. Like I said, when they're in Antarctica, there's a big monster fight there, and I think to to try to I don't know come back to CGI, CGI they just have lots of wind and that snow going on and so it's hard to see what's actually happening and i don't know it just got annoying after a while because there's they do that a lot through the film where you're either in smoke or in rain or something to obstruct your view and i would assume that's because it's cheaper to do cgi right it's easier to fool like when it's raining real hard on screen that like it's you know you can't really see the monster so you can hide a lot of cgi flaws right yeah because i couldn't help but wonder looking at this movie like they, they put so much money in cgi and the credits are 20 minutes long and there's a million vfx artists and that's great um they need the work but uh man I, I was really impressed by the monster fights we should we should mention that these things like when they you know when, when godzilla goes toe-to-toe with uh, uh rodan let's say man they're like knocking over skyscrapers like straight up like big enough to knock over a skyscraper monster fight. Like it's huge, you know, rampage was cool, but it's a little bit smaller. Like this is just freaking ginormous. And, and like they made Godzilla. I love his design in this movie. He's like a freaking sumo wrestler. Like he, he's, he's like, he's like the bat fleck of Godzilla's he's huge and he's ripped and he's pissed all the time and his pecs are a mile wide and he just does not care about anything. (laughs) I thought it was so cool. Like he's just this monster dude. Like you can't, you can't deal with them. And I love it. Like I, that, that feels powerful. You know, he just feels like this huge beast and it really gives you something to kind of root for by the end. You're, you're pulling for Godzilla, man. It's great. (laughs) Um, I mean, I guess. And I should, <laughs> while I'm at it, I should also include, this does have that charm of, like, Terminator 2, right? Like, because in Terminator 2, everybody figured Arnie's the bad guy again, but then Arnold Schwarzenegger turns out to be, like, the good guy, and the Terminator's on your side? Like, that's the coolest thing ever. You definitely get a little bit of that in Godzilla King of the Monsters. You're kind of rooting for Godzilla a little bit. Like, it's a good time. Right, right. So, yeah. So, another thing I wanted to touch on is that there's lots of of allusions to or a lot of allusions to King Kong. They, they, oh uh, you God. know, w- when, when you're, when they have the, a lot of the screens pulled up, they'll, they're like, you know, Oh, Kong Island or Kong. Skull here. Island. He, yeah. It's yeah. Skull Island. They, they show, you know, some of the cave paintings also have, have Kong in there as well. So they're in there alluding to a Godzilla versus Kong eventual matchup. It was so, yeah. Speaking of ham fisted. Oh my God. They could not make it more obvious. Multiple times on screen, I either saw something that looked like Kong or was probably footage of Kong from the background or like, oh my God, I've never, I've never seen a movie make it so obvious. Like, please come back for the sequel. <laughs> it's insane. It's not the whole movie. Uh, they really want you to come see Kong v. Godzilla whenever it comes out. 
<sighs> well, I I don't have much more to come, <laughs> much right. more to talk about on this. Uh, the <laughs> music, yeah, okay. Uh, the music is forgettable. Uh, ultimately, I think I think the the fights are cool. The, the story is like you said, it's it's hardly even worth explaining. Like, and that and that's you know that's not why you go to these movies. I had problems with Rampage, and that's what you had to tell me. You're like, it's a monster movie. All right, like it's you know yeah. what you're getting into, and that's true. Um, I guess I don't have much more to say either. Uh, Andy, uh, would you recommend Godzilla: King of the Monsters? Uh, probably not to most people. If you are a fan of the monster movie genre, if you're a big Godzilla fan, um, I'd say, yeah, you're probably going to enjoy it if you're there to see big smash grab bang clash, uh, kind of movie. There's a whole lot of that. I think it would be more enjoyable if it was just simply shorter. I could get on board with, you know, a nonsensical plot and all the CGI for 90 minutes. But when the 90 minute mark hits and I'm thinking, oh my God, we have a half hour left. Um, it, it's really too much. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same camp. I, I'll give it a little bit more of a recommendation. I would say you should watch it, especially if you're a monster movie fan or if you're just a dude who needs a testosterone fix. Like, go, you know, go for it. Go see Godzilla King of the Monsters. Um, if you're a Godzilla fan, I think you'll probably be into it, but maybe not. Uh, you, the characters are paper thin. It is way too long. Like, it, it's it's got issues. But, like, if you can set those aside and just look forward to, like, some good old-fashioned monster fighting... Um, I think you can have fun. I did. So, you know, hey, check it out. And and if possible, go see it in something bigger than just a normal theater. I saw it in IMAX. That probably made a big difference. So, yeah. Uh, with that, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, Andy, please, you want to you wanna take the reins on this? It's time for the trailer park. So the first trailer we're talking about today is the new, newly released Ford v. Ferrari. You're going to build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford. Correct. A couple of days ago, starring Christian Bale and Matt Damon, uh, who retail the story of uh, some sort of competition feud between Ferrari, the automaker Ferrari and Ford, who, of course, is known more for their domestic kind of consumer vehicles and how in the 60s they uh, took them on, Ford took them on and built their own supercar, which turned out to be the, the Ford GT, which is an incredible supercar now. Um, and so this tells the story of, of, I guess, the build of that car and of the relationship between um, Matt Damon, who plays Carroll Shelby, of uh, the Shelby Mustang fame, and the driver, Ken Miles, uh, played by Christian Bale. Um, I like how this this looks. This looks like one of those movies that it's it's about racing, but it's not about racing at all. It's, it looks like it's going to be about lots of other deeper things. So because of that, I'm pretty excited about it. And all the car stuff looks really cool, too. We, get, we have some crashes. We have fast cars. Um, it looks like it's going to be really good. It's got a uh, uh, November release date, so it's right in time for Oscar season. Yeah, I'm 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 optimistic. Uh, I, I would say I'm excited. I'm not sure what direction it's going to go in, but one, it's got a great cast. Two, I'm a little familiar with the story. I, I don't know too much, but like the name Lee Iacocca, which is John Berthold's character in the trailer, stood out to me. Uh, the Shelby, right, stood out to me. Matt Damon's character. Um, so. I don't know how that story ends, but it's kind of like Fox, what, Foxcatcher, right? Fox, 
that that yeah. Steve Carell like that that was based on a true story and I'm like I don't know how it ends but I'm interested enough to go see it and I think they're really banking on that that people will see this and go huh I know Ford I know Ferrari what's this story about you know and you won't you won't get on Wikipedia and find out yeah, um, yeah. but I'm I'm into it I think using Rolling Stones the smart move I love the look of it it's got a very sharp kind of nostalgic approach uh, uh, it looks very driven and accelerated um, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It looks very uh, energy. It looks very busy. It looks like a lot of action, I guess. A lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, I think it'll be cool. It has Christian Bale going 110% Christian Bale. That's right. 110% Bale. All the Bale. And like 80% Matt Damon. But, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> he's, he's getting older. Uh, our next movie on the trailer park we should talk about. Did you move these around? I feel like you were supposed yes, to be talking. Yes, okay, gotcha. See, okay, I see what happened here. It's fine. Uh, we should talk about uh, Rambo Last Blood. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. So, this is Sylvester Stallone's fifth Rambo film. This is 37 years after the original. Set to a backdrop of, of course, Little Nas X's Old Town Road in the desert. Uh, This follows John Rambo as he's settling down in Arizona to sip iced tea on his porch and ride horses. Uh, Right up until, obviously, some big bad guys come for him to settle a score or something like that, and he has to home alone his way uh, through his house and and somehow survive getting rocked by what looked like a a group of mercenaries. That's what the trailer shows anyway. Man, oh man, Andy, any any hot thoughts on Rambo Last Blood? Uh, You know, it needs to be called Last Walker or Last Prescription. I mean, he he is, I mean, not sorry, not to be ageist, but I mean, he is old. He is 73 now. He's uh, Sylvester Stallone, um, still making these movies. And the thing is, this movie looks like a big ripoff of things like Logan. That's I, I someone pointed that out, and I, when I reached watched the trailer, I was like, "Yeah, this some it has some of the exact kind of scenes in the feel of like old this old gruff, worn out version of of the titular hero." And again, nice use of a uh, old town road. <laughs> sure, um, but it. Use it. Uh, I mean, I know Rambo has a uh, faithful following, you know, and usually pretty gruesome, grotesque uh, violence. Uh, but man, and, and I'm sure, I, I'm sure it will do fine because they, they wouldn't keep making them if they did. But it's like, man, it looks really, re- you're really just getting blood from a stone at this point. It's worth mentioning, uh, this is directed by Adrian Grunberg, who was the first assistant and second unit director on a number of things, including Narcos, the Netflix series. Uh, Jack Reacher, uh, he worked on Apocalypto with Mel Gibson, Jarhead. He worked on The Legend of Zorro and Man on Fire with... Uh, so he's, he's got quite the action list to him, but never as like a lead director, which is weird. Always as some kind of assistant director, so I'm curious to see what happens. But, uh, you know... <laughs> I'd say we'll go see it for the podcast, but have you seen the first four Rambo films? I haven't. I've seen no, maybe so, two of them. So I've heard that the first one is actually really good, and it is based on a novel. Like there, it, there's a written text uh, about it, but um, mm-hmm. that novel is very finite. Like there's not a whole lot after that. Um, and I think what the original film was about, you know, it it was kind of anti-war. Like there, there was a deeper message behind it. After and then after that, it just turned into gratuitous violence. Right. Uh, I don't know. Optimistic. I, I'm probably not going to see it. <laughs> no, I haven't definitely. seen the others. Like that's yeah. that's a big problem. In fact, that's something we should talk about with our next movie here. 
so our next and final film for this week's trailer park is uh, Terminator Dark Fate. My name is Sarah Connor. Never seen one like you before. Almost human. So Terminator Dark Fate is the I'm going to quiz you here, Andy. Fifth film sixth, in the Terminator series. Sixth. sixth. Sixth film in the Terminator series. Uh, it is a, a kind of hard reboot produced by James Cameron. This one's directed by Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, so that's cool. Uh, this is supposed to follow directly the events of Terminator 2, which is the most famous one. It's one that probably you know the best. Uh, it, this one acts like 3, 4, and 5 never happened, which is crazy, but James Cameron wanted to hard reboot it. I guess the logic is like, people won't remember that we made three Terminator movies that nobody remembers. Uh, surely people will just go see this. <laughs> well, so... They, they yeah. can also, because Terminator deals with time travel, they're using the excuse of, oh, those are, you know, happen in different timelines, Elseworld universes, something like that. Sure. Which is, I mean, I guess it's fair. That does give us the ability to bring Linda Hamilton back on screen. Sarah Connor, the original, is back in this film, which is very exciting. Arnold Schwarzenegger is also, of course, in it. Uh, it seems to feature a couple of new protagonists. A female cyborg, I think? Uh, yeah, Mackenzie Davis. I'm hard pressed to see how she isn't a Terminator, but sure. Uh, and and uh, some evil Terminator Two kind of bad guy, right? Kind of liquid, solid skeleton. They always have to figure out how to make the bad Terminator like more aggressive and new. So his whole thing now is he has a metal skeleton, but also a silver, like floaty skeleton. Float, yeah. So I, you know, hey, liquid metal. Uh, sure. What do you think, Andy? Um, it, it definitely looks like a return to form. It's cool to see Linda Hamilton. Um, nice to see older people on school on screen kicking ass. That's always that's always good. Um, I I feel like Terminator suffers from the thing some of these properties do that it's the same movie every time. You know the conflict is the same. Terminator is chasing us. We have to keep each other safe. We have to keep this person safe. And it's, it's always the same thing. The story, I feel like the story never advances. Like, like they never stop judgment day or they never get to judgment day. It's just, it's always the same thing every time. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's got this weird pivot around it. I I think, (laughs) you okay. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Terminator is a lot like Star Wars. It's kind of a thin premise. There's really not a whole lot to it. In order to exactly. have a Terminator movie, you have to have a Terminator. You have to have Skynet. You have to have Judgment Day. You have to have some other kind of Terminator that doesn't like the first Terminator. Like, it's pretty... You have to have John Connor. Like, it, they all kind of follow the same formula, you know? So, I I, I don't know. I, I think it'll... I think it'll work. I'm excited about a lot this one's doing. I'm excited Linda Hamilton's back. I'm excited this is the first one that uh, James Cameron is a part of since Terminator 2. I like that he's saying, just ignore the other three. I consider those a bad dream or an alternate timeline. Uh, this one's supposed to have an R rating, which is neat. Uh, I'm looking here. Apparently, they have somebody filling in for John Connor, and they're going to use CGI to make it look like Edward Furlong. Which is kind of oh, neat, wow. so they'll kind of make him look like young John Connor. That's cool. Don't look, don't like, look up Edward Furlong now. He looks terrible. Yeah, don't do not do that. That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, Junkie XL is doing the music. Like, There's a lot this movie could do cool, but like, man, I, I'm so skeptical. I can't even tell you 
the names of all the Terminator films. Okay, so I have seen all of the Terminator films. I I want to like this franchise. I want to, I want it to be good. Right. It just it just has been. So there was uh, I think it was Terminator. Uh, I don't remember what Terminator Three is called, but Terminator Three. No, Terminator Three. Uh, Rise, Rise of the, of the Rise of the Machines. That's yep, right. Yep, yep, yep. And then there was Terminator Salvation, which is kind of post Judgment Day. That's the one Christian with, Bale screamed at a guy on set on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and then there's Terminator Genesis with a very cringy spelling of that. And Amelia uh, Clark, which, who's not in this film, which is a bummer. Yeah, yeah. Because she did have a really great "Come with me if you want to live" moment. Um, so I I want to like this series. It's just it always fails to deliver i think we have a better chance at, at what we're doing in this film um but again like you said the, the story elements are always kind of the same so you have to go the road the the way that um terminator 2 went which is it was about philosophy it was about this you know the uh kind of the the morality of like do i kill someone who could is going to cause all this pain and suffering in the in the future is that justified is that right because if anything linda hamilton turns into a terminator essentially in that that movie she in her quest to kill miles dyson you know there's this whole philosophical thing at play in addition to all the action we get so that's the kind of the route you need to go yeah i don't mean to say it's funny i was thinking the same thing uh i don't mean to say this movie needs to be like blade runner 2049 but like what better sci-fi action series has the potential to ask the question what does it mean to have meaning than terminator what does it mean to be a person what does it mean to yeah to be worth something cyborg or machine like it's so perfect and like i i don't don't, i'm not saying denis villeneuve should make a a terminator film but like just imagine (laughs) imagine if somebody with that scope and vision was like i'm gonna take this in a totally different place in the same way like ridley scott has done with with alien you know just like i'm gonna go in a complete pivot and like this 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 series hasn't really done that successfully they haven't really figured that out yet maybe that's what this is but if anything this sounds like a continuation so i don't know um i'm optimistic i guess like i said this movie checks a lot of boxes but it's the sixth terminator film like it might be terrible We'll it, the, the last thing I'll say is that I did. I was upset that we didn't get the uh, kind of typical da dun dun da dun da dun dun da dun in the trailer. That's it. That movie music is in, or that like rhythm is in all the trailers in all the films, and yeah, we didn't right. get that one in this trailer. And I was a little disappointed. They'll save that for like the final trailer or something. I'm sure it's in the movie, right? It has to be like surely, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll see what happens, I guess. Keep it here on Offscript for more. Uh, Our last film of the episode, we should talk about the Netflix original rom-com, Always Be My Maybe. Always Be My Maybe is a 2019 American romantic comedy film uh, written by Ali Wong and Randall Park, who are the two two stars of the film. It's in the vein of something like Crazy Rich Asians. It is a a cultural rom-com, and it's done really well. Set in San Francisco, uh, two childhood friends uh, find themselves in vastly different places in life 30 or so years after they met and, and hung out. Uh, and they kind of get back together and through a series of, of, of coincidences and happenstances happen to kind of start to fall for each other again, but they've always been at odds. So maybe not. It's kind of a fun movie. It's a comedy. There's a lot of fun characters in it. And for a Netflix movie, I was really pleased with the approach. Andy, uh, what did you think of always be my maybe? 
So I really liked it. I had a lot of fun. And whenever you go into a rom-com, it's it's cliche and stereotypical by nature. And so it hits a lot of our familiar beats. We have our childhood friends. We have our kind of from opposite worlds, fish out of water. Um, There's a lot of tropes, but it does them so well. It's It's incredibly, it's really funny. It's really engaging. You get a lot of heart and a lot of humor. So I, I really enjoyed it. There's this big, it's not a spoiler because it's in the trailer, big um, appearance by Keanu Reeves, which is really good. Yeah, I, I was really pleased with the approach of this movie. I, I thought it it did the whole, uh, they do a really good job of comparing uh, uh, she's in a different place in life and he's in a different place in life. She's successful, he isn't. Uh, mismatched kind of characters uh, uh, and 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 I like the way these two kind of come together from having a past to having uh, what is hoping to be a future together right and then getting together and hooking up and dating uh, it does try to tackle some bigger themes death and family that I felt like was a little clumsy but on on the base level it's just kind of a fun rom-com it, it does a lot right and we should talk about that um, I guess is now the time to talk about Keanu Reeves or should we just talk about <laughs> We should, we should talk about Ali Wong and Randall Park first, right? Okay, the, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so Ali Wong, Wong plays uh, Sasha Tran, who is a very successful uh, TV chef. And, you know, she's famous. She's got a famous boyfriend played by... Oh, Daniel Day Kim. Thank you, Daniel Day Kim. Got it. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, she is on TV. She goes to galas. She's opening a restaurant in San Francisco. That's why she's there in the first place. Um, so she, that, that's her background and she's very, she's just a mini celebrity. And then Randall Park is, you know, he, in, he installs her air conditioning or, or whatever it is. He's got a family blue collar business. And so they, they come from very, they have not, for, they don't come from different backgrounds, but they are now very different, uh, people in different places in life. He still lives at home and just smokes weed after, at the end of the day. Um, so that, that's kind of where, where they're at. Yeah, and and we we get this interesting kind of flashback right at the beginning of the movie um, to who they are as kids and and how how Sasha's character uh, didn't really have parents around to spend time with her growing up, so she would go hang out at her friend's house next door, which is Marcus's character, and that's how they got to know each other, and they had this relationship with his parents, and then something unfortunate happens with one of the parents, and then that kind of fractures them in a weird way, and they never really get back on track, but then 30 years later, they're in San Francisco again, and who knows, like, anything could happen, love is in the <laughs> air. Um, what's interesting is that both of these characters are in relationships at the beginning of this movie, uh, and then through a, again, series of fortunate circumstances they happen to not be in relationships <laughs> of anymore. keanu related circumstances right but then you do get a very fun injection of keanu reeves in this movie uh it is written by like i said by ali wong and randall park the two uh stars and ali wong specified that the reason keanu reeves was the pick for this is because one she likes him and two she wanted to, she just wanted to make out with keanu reeves on screen so mission accomplished ali you did it why did he agree to be in this movie do we have any idea no i don't know other than it sounds like it was probably a lot of fun yeah, uh, in a quote, he said he was, quote, honored to be part of this love story, which somehow sounds like a fictional <laughs> Keanu Reeves in this movie. Keanu Reeves steals steals the show, though, like real bad. His, every, every scene he's in, it's all you can stare at. What, like, what I... What I love is, uh, you know, I've listened to several um, Keanu Reeves interviews uh, for John Wick, and uh, he is really kind of a weird dude. And yeah. he, he, that's exactly what he brings to the, he brings his weirdness on screen and the, and also hypes it up as a character of itself. But uh, this is such a great scene because basically there we meet them at a dinner party and he's just like, you know, he says these obnoxious things like, do you have anything on the menu that, uh, you know, will 
also has the theme of transcendence time. It's super like douchebaggy things to say. Yeah. Um, and th- that's an extended sequence. Really funny. Really works. And it gave us a great slow walking moment, which the internet has taken off on now. Right. Oh, man. The memes abound, which is just good marketing for something like a Netflix movie. Um, I, 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 this movie... What am I trying to say here? Where am I going with this? I'm not sure. What else do I need to say? <laughs> well, let's talk, a, I wanted to mention a, li- a little bit about, about the plot. So part of the reason they get together is because they, they kind of hooked up in, at the end of high school. Right. Um, Ali Wong and Randall Park. And it was kind of awkward after. And they didn't really talk. And then they went separate. And then, so they have a history. And that's kind of what gets brought back up. And, and they do kind of have to work through problems because they're in very different places in life and they both are, you know, they're both their own worst enemy. Randall Park is stuck in this place where he doesn't want to kind of move out. He doesn't want to do anything. He's a very talented musician uh, as well. And he just, you know, he's happy just being the block that plays or the band that plays on the, around the block. He doesn't want to try and grow that. And then Ali Wong on the other hand is very, you know, kind of self, not self-absorbed, but obsessed with her brand and her success and uh, all that. And she's kind of missing kind of that more personal part in your life. So we get some really good fleshed out characters. Yeah. And, and I think Ali Wong, you know, she's a stand-up comedian. Uh, she's also a mom. She hasn't done a whole lot of acting, and that kind of shows in her character. She she struggles to keep up, but she does okay. Uh, really, the performance I enjoyed the most was Randall Park. Uh, God, that guy's underrated. Like he really is. <laughs> I know. I know he has a sitcom, and like he's been in plenty of stuff. But like, man, Randall Park's funny, and and it comes across in this. He's got this uh, uh, kind of kind of side rap band thing going on, which is funny. And him him being downtrodden and beat up by having dinner with Keanu Reeves is hilarious. Um, it's really good stuff. Him him getting slowly more pissed at Keanu Reeves being Keanu Reeves is, is a lot of fun. Um, he's just a charming character. I mean, they're both charming characters, but like you can really get into who they are and you can appreciate the relationship for it. How did this work for you on a comedic level as, as a comedy? I laughed a few times. Um, n- not a ton. Uh, but you know, it got, it got a few laughs. Uh, I, I think honestly, I think I laughed at something like the long shot more. Or, yeah. or long shot more, which is hard to believe. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't know. What'd you think? I feel like it's the kind of movie that would benefit from an audience. Like it seeing this in, in a, in a group in a, you know, half filled, filled theater where every, where the slightest chuckle ripples through the crowd and every joke kind of lands a little bit better because of it. When you're by yourself, it's, you know, you kind of, you know, air exhales through your nose when something's funny as yeah. opposed to, uh, you know, a, a big laugh out loud. And it did have a lot of those moments, but it's not, you know, we just saw Booksmart, which is hysterical. And this movie is not hysterical, but I think it's also difficult for a movie to be hysterical when you're watching it by yourself on the couch. Well, it's, let's let's make this clear. It, it is written, again, by Ali Wong and Randall Park, so they're not exactly professional screenwriters. They're comedians. And a lot of this humor, I think, stems from uh, Ali Wong's kind of stand-up and her her kind of approach to the world. Which is fine, but it's unique. Like, that's part of being a stand-up comedian, right? You're kind of your own character, and you have your own viewpoint. Uh, And this kind of falls under that. So, if it's a little confusing, if you're not really familiar with her material, I think it can be a little odd. And, And that's part of the reason it's on Netflix, right? That's part of the reason this is a niche film and not a wide release. Because it's its own beast. I, I, watching this, it reminded me a lot of, in the best way, this is gonna sound diminutive, but watching always be my maybe reminded me a lot of like a lifetime movie and that lifetime makes movies for television that will always be lesser than cinematic films 
but some of those can still be really charming and good. And that's what this reminded me of. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't the level of a theatrical film, but it's pretty good for what it is. It's close, you know? And like, it's good enough to enjoy with your Netflix subscription. If I had paid to go see this in theaters, I probably would have been bummed to watch it on Netflix. Like I, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, no, definitely. And, I, and sometimes I think a lot, a lot of the times quality has to do with like budget and how much time you have to build the project. And, you know, I feel like when things are on Netflix, a lot of times that just is smaller. Like you don't have as long to develop the humor or the jokes or whatever. It's It's got to be faster. And it's just, it if the, if it was written for the screen and it was going to have a full theatrical release, I think it probably would have been a funnier movie. I agree. Um, so... But but ultimately not that bad. Again, for for a Netflix watch, a lot of fun. I watched it with yeah. Christine. We both enjoyed it. Like it's good stuff. Yeah, 140 minutes, nothing too long. Mm, yeah, not too long. <laughs> Somehow it felt long, but I think it's just because of this this kind of twist and turn the plot takes. It, it, it's somewhere in the second act, you feel like okay, this could probably wrap up here. And then uh, similar to the issue I had with Crazy Rich Asians, it kind of stumbles over another conflict to get into the third act which feels weird. Um, it just tries to do a lot when it shouldn't. It could it could be simpler, honestly, and it, it would still work just as well. So good for swinging for the fences, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready to move on. Andy, would you recommend Always Be My Maybe? Uh, yeah, absolutely. If you have a Netflix subscription, it's there for you. It's funny. The two leads are good. There's a great sequence with Keanu Reeves. It's not too long. It was great for a Sunday, Saturday afternoon. So I had a good time. I laughed a lot. Would definitely recommend it. Yeah, same here. Great for uh, hanging out, hanging out with a significant other or, or you know, friends or whatever. Uh, Parent watch is kind of weird. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of sex talk in this movie, but I mean, you might be okay with that. But yeah, ultimately, it's a rom com. It's a Netflix rom com, and it's one of the better of the Netflix rom coms that I've seen. So I think if you're looking to watch a rom com on Netflix, you can't go wrong with Always Be My Maybe. Mm-hmm. And with that, we should wrap up this week's show. Thanks for listening, as always. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Dark Phoenix. That is the hot release. My God, I can't remember the last time I saw an X-Men film, um, but that'll be good stuff. We're also going to look at The Farewell, that new Aquafina uh, picture that's uh, going to be playing at our local Oak Cliff Film Festival. She's uh, What's going on in that movie, exactly? So, uh, she plays... Uh a daughter or granddaughter in this big uh, Chinese family where the uh, grandmother has uh, been diagnosed with cancer. Um, but the, no one in the family actually wants to tell her. So the, their whole family is going to go over to China with the excuse of going to someone's wedding when it's really this, their grandma is also going to die. And so oh, yeah. there, there's a whole, it looks really funny, but also very tear jerking as well. Cause it's about family and culture and East versus West. Uh, it looks really good, really heartwarming, some heavy stuff. Uh, looks like it's going to be a really good and serious performance from Aquafina. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. And I just saw the, I just saw the trailer again at uh, Avengers. So it'd be, it's going to be cool to see it uh, this weekend at the Oak Cliff film festival. Yeah. That movie looks heartbreaking. <laughs> Can't wait. Good. Just soul wrenching. Uh, so yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, if you thought it was cool, if you want to hear more about Ray's podcast, go hit him up. But for us, check out our website at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. That's our email, actually. Check out our email at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Hit us up where you can. We're on Twitter, too. Uh, so check it out and, and get involved with the show. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it from all of us here at Offscript, the home 
of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.